This is a message from Dr. Barbara Ferrer of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. When you're with others who are not from your household, wear a cloth face covering. Always make sure your hands are clean before and after you touch your face covering. And wear a clean cloth face covering every day. Learn more at publichealth.lacounty.gov. To learn more about how you can protect yourself from COVID-19, go to publichealth.lacounty.gov. Brought to you by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading and largest woman-owned advertising and communications firm in Southern California. At Frazier, we specialize in changing behaviors to grow brands and to have a positive impact in society with both private and public sector clients. We do the Talk, Read, Sing campaign across the state of California for First Five, and you're hearing our messaging and seeing it related to Department of Public Health COVID-19 messaging. Frazier handles both private and public clients, and we're glad to have a positive impact in the work we do. Our show, The Deciders, features leaders in their fields and develops issues and solutions around current issues we're facing today. On The Deciders, people share their stories, reveal their decisions, and talk about research that impacts our business. Now we're talking about the facts surrounding COVID-19. Did you know that October is Domestic Violence Prevention Month? During the national emergency of a pandemic, we know many, many women have been forced to shelter in place, and in some cases with an abuser. Travel restrictions and financial constraints can limit the ability to move and seek safety. A recent McKinsey research study showed us that women are taking much more of the burdens as families are doing online school and working from home. Some organizations though have stepped up to help women. They've received new funding and one of these organizations is called Peace Over Violence. They have created innovative comprehensive programs that include emergency intervention, prevention, education and advocacy for women who are facing violence and abuse. With us today is Chief Program Officer and Intervention Services Director, Yvette Lozano. Yvette, welcome to The Deciders. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Glad to have you here, Yvette. I knew you had a Project Safe Haven, which is new since COVID-19. Please tell us what the program does. Absolutely. Uh, Our Project Safe Haven is a collaboration and funding by the City of Los Angeles Mayor's Office. And this project is funding several domestic violence agencies in the City of Los Angeles to provide temporary housing or shelter for victims of domestic violence. And that came about when in March when we first started noticing that we would have to shut down and the needs for shelter placement and longer term shelter with domestic violence um, shelters, it became an issue of concern with regards to health. Uh, A lot of the victims that were trying to transition into the shelter placement of many domestic violence shelters are overwhelmed with the need and sometimes they're at capacity. So Mm -hmm. this program, this program really helped uh, put in a a first, another, another uh, resource for victims to, really help them place them temporarily and then 
we work in a manner which will provide case management and then advocate on their behalf to place them either in a domestic violence shelter to stay longer term or to help them find uh, permanent housing. So I, I, uh, we have talked with uh, Stephanie, who runs LA Family Housing on the show before, and I know they have been doing a lot of additional housing as a result of, uh, I think it's even called Home Key. There's a special program uh, helping people uh, that were formerly homeless or living in a homeless situation and helping them get into housing. This is specifically for victims of domestic abuse. Uh, are you putting them into hotels where they can have a separate private housing location that maybe isn't known to their abuser, or are they facilities that might be even recognized? As well, a, we're, yes, thank as you so much. Oh, we're putting them in facilities, and I'd rather not say what type of entity because of safety. Uh, I don't want to disclose that to really eliminate the ability for abusers to finding their victims or mm -hmm. their partners, but they are being placed in safe facilities where it's confidential, and a lot of the safety assessments are being taken into consideration to ensure that the survivors and the children are in a safe place. Uh, all the domestic violence agencies continue to provide these services. We still are running our hotlines. And in most situations, many of these callers are calling through our hotline or are actually calling directly into our office. Uh, we've also noticed a spike in our office calls as well where they may not be calling our hotline, but they're actually calling directly to the office to request the services and very much verify if we're open for services. So Could there's this us, misconception. Right, exactly. When they're worried that you may not be. Could you give us yep. your numbers? The number sure. that you'd like people to call? Absolutely. Our 24-hour hotline is the Los Angeles Rape and Battering Hotline. One of those numbers is 213-626-3393. And uh, we have advocates available that provide confidential services. We're able to provide referrals, assistance, advocacy, and information. And we also refer to other agencies or internally within our agency as well. And our office number is 213-955-9090. You know, sadly, uh, abuse is, is up, I think, as a result of all the stresses that we're seeing. But one of the statistics I wanted to share comes from the Pew Institute. A much larger share of women than men lost their jobs from February to May 2020. Almost 11 and a half million women across the country. So the COVID downturn is the first of eight downturns uh, in the past five decades in which women have lost more jobs than men. And the problem is even more dire for women of color. Unfortunately, we're seeing uh, Latinas have experienced a steeper decline in employment, almost down 21%. Uh, and uh, we know that these issues are pressing on families, economic issues. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamic that creates the increase in abuse? I think it relates often to economic situations and other things. Can you kind of draw some scenarios for us or stories so people start to understand why this is happening, what the pressures are on these families. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I really want to just say that in domestic violence or intimate partner violence, it's not just about the physical abuse. We have different types of abuse that we categorize. Financial, we have uh, psychological, emotional, verbal, and sexual abuse. That sometimes, a lot of times, it doesn't get discussed. And so we have been working with many survivors throughout the city of Los Angeles and the county, we have a right, wide range of services. 
One example is of a, a 65-year-old survivor who I responded to uh, in the middle of COVID who was being held captive and being abused by her partner. He would tie her up and control the money, her social security, and uh, ended up sexually abusing her. And when I responded, I you know, noticed, well, I got the call from our partners. We have a domestic abuse response team program and our partners from LAPD called us and requested an advocate to be there to support her. This survivor was uh, partially blind, had disabilities, and unfortunately was not able to be accepted into a shelter because of her limited abilities. And as an, as an advocate, I responded, I worked with the survivor, placed her into the Project Safe Haven, and we were able to transfer her out to a permanent housing situation where she is now staying. She is safe and receiving the support she needs, uh, continues to be part of the, our, our support groups. And uh, that's one example of how domestic violence and COVID, because the abu abuser was controlling the money, was controlling her contact with her social worker, that's a form of abuse. Mm -hmm. There's different tactics that are used. Uh, right now, because it might not be safe for everyone at home to stay at home, a lot of the abuse is that we're hearing is getting a lot more egregious, if I could say, a lot more physical injuries, weapons are being used, tactics, the, the threat of uh, spreading COVID to their partner and getting them sick is one form of abuse. Uh, gaslighting, manipulation, it's just, and then also when you talk about the statistics of women of color losing their jobs because of COVID, now we have, as women, we have to stay home, take care of our children and be teachers as well. And the decision to either go and make money or stay home and take care of the kids and guide them through their school process creates an added stressor for, for survivors if they're experiencing domestic violence. So we have had many survivors quit their jobs or their hours be cut. And right now we're fortunate to have additional funding, which is a different uh, project, which is called the CARES Act, where we're able to support financially assist survivors and giving them some financial assistance for temporary basis uh, for food, for bills, for anything that they may need. If it it's in the qualifying factors, we're able to provide that assessment and support survivors it's process. really, really good to know. It's, it's a broader set of support systems, and I'm glad to hear that. I'm very familiar with the CARES Act, but I did not realize it had that component. So financial assistance, which is important. We're going to mention the, I'm going to have you mention the hotline number a couple of times at the end of the show. I appreciate you're talking about this broader definition of what abuse is. I think sometimes we have one image in our mind, but there are various ways. And when you restrict a woman's access to her money, that's certainly a, a serious problem. In many cases, children are involved, right? There is a family, and as you said, women are forced to choose between staying home and educating their children or their job. They'll see their role as the mother and the educator of their children as their first priority, which could put additional economic stress on the family and the relationship. Um, when children are involved, are you able to find homes for women where they can bring their, or shelter, I should say, place for them, where they bring their children as well? Yes, right now Project Safe Haven does house uh, family members, including the children, 
And we also um, are able to host them and provide the services internally for counseling. And uh, we are also able to support any youth that is experiencing teen dating violence as well. So that all depends on the situation, uh, the circumstances we would assess. If we don't have the space within our program, we definitely have a good partnership with other local agencies that we work in collaboration with. Now, you know, this is a wonderful short-term solution, but in many cases, those women need to have, need to prosecute, right? They need to have an advocate to help them in family law and the custody issues. How do you address that? So within our services, within the agency at Peace Total Violence, we had a, a variety of services that we offer from our emergency response, from our hotline, which includes our hotline, our domestic abuse response team, our counseling support groups. We also have our legal advocacy program. Our legal advocacy program team really provides the legal support for survivors and helping them with family law, restraining orders, and other matters that may be applicable to them. So that is an addition. So it's like it's sort of a one-stop shop where survivors can get all those services internally within the agency, and many domestic violence agencies within the city of Los Angeles have these services as well. That's good. It's important that you know you've got uh, a lot of resources and you mentioned case management, which really means you surround the person with support. You find what resources are available, make sure they know what those are. Uh, you know, I, uh, one of the other interviews we did, we talked with people on the crisis hotlines and suicide lines. And uh, uh, a couple of my friends are on boards of those organizations and they tell me they have seen an increase in the number of sessions. Uh, the counseling services that are needed, and the frequency. People come in more often to have a conversation, whether it's texting or however it may be. It looks like you've had an increase in the counseling side as well. Tell me about that. We did. We absolutely did. Uh, Currently, we've noticed an increase of 50% for counseling services within our program. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we're the only agency that currently is running like about 24 support groups for survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence and including a male domestic violence support group for males who have experienced intimate partner violence, uh, both in English, Spanish and American Sign Language. So our services continue telehealth and that is basically how we know that the need for domestic violence has increased through our counseling program. And we've also seen an increase in um, currently in our hotline, it keeps going up. So we, it fluctuates here and there, but because of this, we also have a lot of survivors who are in need of some advocacy with regards to Department of Family of Services. Uh, they're required to take certain classes and attend groups as a victim of domestic violence in order for them to regain custody of their children. And that requirement is to participate in these classes. And I see that as a, an additional um, task that they have to complete during this time of COVID. Yeah, yeah, but you're helping them and encourage them to move through the process and do what they need to do. I like that. Uh, Sexual assault numbers, are those up or down? You know, uh, in our hotline, they have been dropping. In our, we have a sexual assault response team where we, we respond to a SART center where victims are transported by law enforcement for a forensic evidence exam. Those numbers have declined as well. Uh, but in, in relations to reporting to police, it remains steady. So 
there's reports being reported on sexual assault to police, but somehow we're, I can't figure out why we're not getting those calls through our hotline and through our, our advocacy line. That is something I'm trying to figure out, but I do want to encourage any survivor that's out there with whether they want to report or not report, we are here to listen and support and, and explore options. And they could call our 24 hour hotline at 213-626-3393. So I think what you're saying too is uh, if, if you choose not to call the police and it's after the fact of the incident, you're still suffering and the assault Absolutely. is still an assault. So you could call for help and uh, counseling and how to manage through it, even if you've chosen not to call the police, right? What to talk yes, about. It, it, all our services, you're, you're, no one's required to connect with police. Uh, trauma is trauma. It, it lasts a long time. Everyone deals with their trauma differently and needs a certain types of advocacy or modality. And at Key Civil Violence, we offer different modalities, whether it be talk therapy, whether it be yoga, trauma-informed yoga, art healing, a support group, or even just the case management to explore your options so for someone that knows how to move forward or whatever options are available for them. So it's all by, led by the survivor. And are most of your services free or on a sliding scale? All our services are free of charge for all survivors in the community. Uh, we don't charge for our services. We're grant funded and we provide them for free. That's wonderful. I think that's important for people to know. And I, I know the domestic uh, violence shelter assistance line is 310-281-2822, just to repeat that. I'm sorry to hear there's been an increase. I, I wonder, do you have a optimistic perspective on when we come out of this, how things might change? What can you, what do you predict in this arena as <laughs> we, we move through? I know you don't have a crystal ball or what no, do you I, hope for? How about that? What would you well, hope Well, I for? hope for that, you know, in every situation, we hope that we are not busy and that our numbers are low down. I hope that our work would just focus on prevention, on the prevention aspect of preventing violence against women and children and men. And uh, we do that too. Um, but I have a feeling that once we're post COVID that we might see an increase in our, our, in our calls. We might see an increase of needs of services for survivors, unfortunately, and we have to be prepared for that. So I just want to encourage anyone that needs help that please reach out and uh, we cannot do this work alone. Uh, peace or violence relies a lot on the volunteers and community members who want to invest and give back to their community. We have volunteer programs. Uh, we are able to train community members to go through an intensive counselor advocate training to get them ready to answer those hotlines and respond out to the survivors and help them through their trauma. And if you're interested in becoming a volunteer, I encourage you to, whether it would be Peace or Violence or any other organization, we really rely on the support of the community as, you know, as far as donating their time. I think that's important. People can donate their time. They can certainly donate money as well, but it's very rewarding to be able to know you. <clears throat> You've helped people on a call line like that. You know, when I, when we look at and study cases of, uh, of, uh, uh, violence among intimate partners and uh, the domestic situations those folks live in, you see the impact on the children. And sometimes it even shapes the way they see relationships in the future. Unknowingly, they sometimes associate violence with love. 
yes. and, and gentleness. How do you handle that? And how do you work with teens and, young, and younger children? You know, that's a really good question. And um, thank you so much for bringing it up because sometimes we forget to just to talk about that. And that's a very important issue. We have to end the cycle of violence and the way that we, we know that if you learn it, you can unlearn it. And so therefore, if a young child witnesses domestic violence or violence in their home, we have to provide some prevention efforts in there. And this is where our prevention team comes in. They go into the high schools, junior high schools, and provide education based out of our In Touch With Teens curriculum, teaching them what is a healthy relationship. We all know that what's an unhealthy relationship, right? But what does a healthy relationship look like? And let's have those conversations with our kids and our children, how to respect boundaries, how to treat each other. What does a relationship look like when it's love, you know, when it's mutual? So those are the things that we are doing currently within our, our partnerships at schools. And within the intervention services, our counseling department is also providing trauma-informed services for children who have witnessed or been impacted by domestic violence as well. You know, trauma-informed uh, in investigations, trauma-informed counseling, really important. I'm familiar with the work of the Surgeon General, you know, related to the uh, accumulation of trauma and how that impacts has health outcomes and mental health outcomes. Uh, for, for people across our state, across our country, and of course, around the world. I'm glad to hear you're intervening. Uh, advice you would give to young people. Uh, so when you go into a high school, tell them what a healthy relationship is. I think it's, it's hard to know that your situation is not typical. You tend to want to believe you're, everyone else is like you. And, and, and there may be cousins and other people on the street who, who live with a certain level of violence in their home. How do you advise those young people to kind of step back and, and envision a different form of a relationship? Uh, you know, that's where our prevention team comes in, and they're very good at working with our youth and educating them, and not in a way that comes across as education. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. Uh, they really talk about the cycle of violence, the roots of violence. They have this entire curriculum where they just go from the beginning to the end, and really discussing, like I said, the roots of violence, uh, to talk about the isms. It's not mm -hmm. just about the intimate partner violence. It's about the uh, violence within our community as well. Yeah. And they have different sections within the curriculum that they discuss to really engage our youth in activities and dialogue and conversation. Uh, I feel that we learn from our youth and how to deliver the message and how to engage them in these conversations. And uh, one of the things that we also do is also provide them with an opportunity, or opportunity to lead these conversations. So not only are they sitting there taking in the information, we have them participate and they become peer educators where they're also uh, educating their own peers and engaging their peers in these conversations so that we could continue to talk about what does a healthy relationship look like? What yeah, are boundaries? your boundaries and talking about it with others and advocating for it makes you take that message even more inside, right? Uh, so it's wonderful to, uh, to give the youth that opportunity. I think that's so smart. Um, I think we ought to talk a little bit about how you work with the department, the, the uh, public, the police department, okay. uh, because I'm sure you work closely with them and they call you in. Explain how that process operates and the role peace over violence plays. 
Sure. We have several partnerships within the County of Los Angeles with local law enforcement agencies. Our biggest partner is the Los Angeles Police Department. Currently, we have uh, four domestic abuse response team programs in partnership with LAPD, which is uh, Northeast, Hollenbeck, Hollywood, and Central LAPD. We also have a family justice center. So we then respond to victims at the time of the crime uh, when it's safe for us to enter the location with the permission of the survivor. And that that immediate crisis, we do all the interventions, assist with restraining orders, place them into shelter, provide crisis counseling for the survivor and children, and then offer follow-up services. So we've been doing this for many years uh, with other agencies. All 22 divisions have partners within LEPD with domestic violence agencies where they offer a domestic violence advocate to support survivors of domestic violence. I'm glad to see that. So you're really an adjunct. Uh, and, and ideally, you know, we, we've been talking about training the police better and handling these situations and being, being there to intervene. But you're called after the arrest occurs or while the arrest is occurring. I'm just trying to understand the timing. It depends. How, it yeah. depends on the situation. I'm sorry. It depends on the situation. The, the suspect could be gone upon arrival. And so we are, uh, the police officers are always there on standby for our own safety and the safety of the survivor. So a person can be arrested and we then, and, and, provide the intervention services or someone it may not be at the at the scene of the crime and we're still able to provide that support. So it depends on the situation. In our family justice center, we do offer uh, those services uh, and these are specific egregious cases of domestic violence uh, where maybe attempted murder, a strangulation, and uh, our advocates are also on site to provide that support as well. Well, thank you. This has been really helpful. Thank you. We've had Yvette Lozano on from Peace Over Violence to help us understand Project Safe Haven. Thank you for listening. This is Renee Frazier from Frazier Communications. You can find our interviews at FrazierCommunications.com. Please stay safe and uh, be careful with COVID-19. Remember to wear your face coverings, social distance, and be careful to wash your hands regularly. Have a wonderful week ahead from The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Dr. Muntu Davis, Los Angeles County Public Health Officer. Although anybody can become sick or die from COVID-19, studies show that the black community is at higher risk, as are people 65 years and older, people in nursing homes, and people with underlying health conditions. If you have to be outside, practice physical distancing. Keep six feet from others and wear a cloth face covering. Wash your hands often for at least 20 seconds. Let's keep our community safe and to find health care, call 211. Brought to you by the L.A. County Department of Public Health.